All right, welcome to chapter four in our listeners' commentary on Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're turning now towards really the final two sections of the letter. And the first one, Colossians 4, 2 through 6, is just a short little section of final instructions that really revolve around two things. Instructions about prayer and then instructions about the Christian's relationship with unbelievers, the outside world. And so Paul writes these words. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So this sets the topic for the first little section of instructions here. Verses 2 through 4 revolve around this instruction about prayer. Notice it begins with this call to action. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to it. The idea is being engaged in it, staying busy about it, persevering in it. That prayer is not just like an optional extra or an occasional thing, something we do when we're feeling like, oh, really uptight. Prayer is something we're devoted to. To. Like we give ourselves to it. We give attention to it. We give effort to it. We give energy to it. That's Paul's call to action. Be devoted to prayer. And then he says, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. That idea of keeping alert in it is just, you know, like being focused, being engaged, not just being half-hearted, laissez-faire, not having, right, like, you know, barely any mental effort at it or barely many, uh, any mental focus at it, that we're, we're alert in it. This is something where it's like, no, we're going to be vigilant about praying. That's the idea here. Be vigilant about praying, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. And so that thanksgiving should be really a key component of our praying. And so this call to prayer invites them into really a life of prayer. And prayer, the word translated prayer, is this really just generic word for communication with God uh, that shows itself up in request, shows itself up in praise, shows itself up in seeking. Um, thanksgiving is a form of that prayer, and so he calls us to pray with thanksgiving. Then in verse 3, Paul actually has a prayer request, and he lays out his prayer request for himself and his ministry team in the midst of his circumstances, which we have learned from earlier in the letter, are that he he's under arrest. He's in some sort of imprisonment. We said the traditional view, most likely view, probably is Rome during his house arrest recorded at the end of the book of Acts. So if that's the case, then we at least have some picture of where he's at. But if that's not the case, if it's another imprisonment, we don't really know exactly what that would look like. But his prayer request is this. In the midst of his confinement, he wants them to pray this way. Verse 3. Praying, he says, at the same time for us as well, that, here is the request, God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've also been in prison. And so his request really is this, that even though he's confined, he doesn't want the word of God to be confined. And so he wants them to pray that somehow, even in the midst of his imprisonment, God may open a door to speak forth the mystery of Christ, the message about Jesus, the truth about Jesus. And so He's inviting the Colossians to be prayer partners with him in ministry, inviting them to participate in his ministry by praying for him and praying for God in some way to open up the door for the word. I think this is a really good model for us in our prayers about how to pray for these kinds of things. Like pray for God to open up doors 
to speak the gospel. Pray for God to open up opportunities to share the word. Pray for God to, um, as he says here, open doors and speak forth the mystery. That, that we, we may not always know the best way to go about that. We may be in circumstances that make that difficult, but you never know what God will do if we begin praying about it. And so Paul is inviting the Colossians to pray with him on his behalf for an open door for the ministry. He even says, for which indeed I've also been in prison, which I just think is an incredible example to us that even though he's been in prison for speaking the mystery of Christ, he wants to keep on speaking the mystery of Christ, that his imprisonment hasn't quieted him down. His imprisonment hasn't eliminated his boldness or his courage. He wants to keep on speaking. So he's looking for an open door for the word. He adds a little tag on that in verse 4 by saying, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. And so... He wants a door to be opened, and he also wants help really having clarity on the best way to speak the word, the best way to share the gospel in his current circumstances, in his current situations. And so, good example for us uh, of whether we're in ministry or not, for praying for open doors, praying for clarity on the best way to speak the word, recognizing the importance of that as a key component of ministry, inviting other people into praying that way for us as we look for opportunities to do that. So that's his first kind of final instruction here in Colossians is to invite them to partner with him in his ministry by praying for him. The second uh, bit of instruction occurs in verses 5 and 6, and it primarily has to do with the relationship of the Colossian believers with the unbelievers there in town. Or in our case, we who are believers, our relationship with the unbelievers that we encounter on a day-in and day-out basis at work, at home, or wherever it's at. So this is what Paul writes, Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. Notice that. That's his basic instruction. So in the way you go about your life and the way you carry yourself and conduct yourself in life, you act wisely toward outsiders. Conduct yourself with wisdom. And he follows that up by saying, making the most of the opportunity. And so what he seems to be saying is, in all your dealings with outsiders, that you should act wisely so that whatever opportunities come your way, you can actually portray Jesus in a good light. Like people's perception of Jesus comes through you and me who are followers of Jesus. And if they don't know Jesus, they only know maybe spin about Christians or the church, they're going to get their perception, their impression of God, Jesus, the gospel from you. So you need wisdom to make sure that you're living the way you ought and you're making the most of every opportunity. That phrase, making the most of the opportunity, literally is redeeming the time. It's actually the exact same phrase Paul uses in Ephesians 5.16, although there it's in a different sort of context than here. Here it has to do with our relationship with unbelievers, and he wants us to redeem the time. Well, the idea of redeeming is to pay a price to set something free, to buy up or to buy back. And so what he's basically saying is set the time free for God's good purposes in your life so that in your interactions with and your relationships with unbelievers, you're actually your time usage there is going to honor Jesus and glorify him and point people towards him. So 
buy up the time, buy back the time, and liberate the time for Jesus' good purposes in and through you in relationship to unbelievers. Then he adds in verse 6, let your speech always be with grace. That one of the primary ways our interaction with unbelievers is going to manifest itself is in the things we talk about and the way we talk about things. And so Paul is saying, let your speech be gracious always seasoned with salt. Um, that is, let it be helpful. Let it be beneficial. Let it be kind-hearted. Let it be seeking their good and their well-being. That's the idea of grace, that you always want to help. You have their best interest at heart. And so let your speech be with grace. And so just evaluate yourself on the job, in relationship with non-Christian family members, in relationship with your neighbors. Does your speech display grace? Does it point people in the direction of God's grace? Um, is it seasoned with salt? Just that imagery of making it flavorful, right? Like making it tasty. Is your speech just good, helpful, tasty, salty? Not in a sense of salty in the sense of, you know, crass and crude, salty in the sense of flavorful, helpful, beneficial, so that you will know, he says, you will know how you should respond to each person. And so be a person who's so full of grace, who routinely speaks words of grace, that in each and every situation, you'll know the most gracious, helpful way to respond to each person. Now, what strikes me about both of these sets of final instructions here is the emphasis on what we would call evangelism or being mindful of outsiders, unbelievers, those who don't know God. So notice Paul is really at the heart of his prayer request is that he would be able to speak the gospel in a good and helpful way, even in his imprisonment. And then his instruction is in our behavior and our speech, we would be helpful to unbelievers so that they would have a good impression of Jesus and a good impression of God. And, and so may we be mindful uh, of the opportunity we have to share Jesus, both in word and in deed. May we be mindful of the way our behavior, our attitude, our, our talking, uh, both in what we say and how we say it. May we be mindful of how that can be something that either pushes someone away from Jesus or draws them to Jesus. And so as you go about your life, be aware of the impact you're having on those who don't know Jesus or who once knew Jesus but walked away from Jesus. Does your life do what Jesus' life did? Does it draw people to himself? It's fascinating when you look at the life of Jesus um, and how many people were just drawn to him, people who you know, we're like not even necessarily like religious, spiritual, godly. We're drawn to him. The way Andy Stanley says it is, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. Catch that? People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. They were drawn to him, and he was gracious, and he was kind, he was attractive, he was winsome. They wanted to be around him. They experienced in him a kind of a grace and kindness that they hadn't experienced from the religious people of his, uh, of their day. And so may we be that kind of people so that in the things we do and in the things we say, people who aren't so sure about God, aren't so sure about the Bible, aren't so sure about Jesus, but they're sure about us and they know we love them and we, they know we care for them. If we could do that, 
we would be embodying Paul's good words and wise words here to us. Hey, it's John. One of the things that excites me about the listener's commentary is the possibility of helping people grow in their understanding of Jesus and the Bible through this digital means. People all over the world, in fact, I've got a connection with, for example, 30 churches in the Philippines, rural churches where the pastors don't have a whole lot of biblical education. And for them to have this resource in their hands so that they can grow in their understanding and then preach that to their congregation, what a blessing. And this is made possible by the generosity of our faithful supporters. So thanks to each and every one of you who support. And if you want to join the project and support that way, you can do so at the listenariescommentary.com. Thanks a ton. God bless.